Hey you, yeah, the one who's been ignoring their HVAC system again this year? Don't spend another season hoping your furnace works. Be sure with help from the team at Legacy. An annual tune-up keeps your furnace running safely and efficiently when you need it most. Visit LegacyHeatingAndAirInc.com for online scheduling and special offers and discounts. While you're there, sign up for an annual maintenance plan starting at just $13 a month. Legacy Heating and Air, a Cook family business. A Cook family business. Welcome to Football Never Sleeps, the weekly Notre Dame football show that runs all year long, usually on Monday nights at 7 o'clock. That's where we've been since basically the start of the football season with a few little alterations for holidays and national championship games. I'm Eric Hansen. The guy in the other Brady Bunch square is Tyler James. And we're with you for roughly the next hour to talk about recruiting, some new offensive arrivals, new strength and conditioning coach, Lauren Landau, who has a much fancier title than that. And we're also here to take your questions. We'll work them into our conversation. You have to do a whole bunch of other things like like, subscribe, and that kind of stuff. And Tyler's better at telling you how to do that than I am. So listen to him. Yeah, make sure you subscribe to our channel here, Inside Indy Sports. We appreciate it. We do these weekly, like Eric mentioned. Um, we have other content. You've probably, If you are already subscribed, you've seen some of the press conference videos that we've put up from um, the discussions that we were able to have with the, the newcomers, and we'll have some more of those at the end of this, this week with um, the defensive guys uh, getting a chance to talk to us and any offensive guys that weren't able to, to make it on Friday. Um, so subscribe to us here. Like, like all the videos that you like. Help us out. Share this with your friends. Uh, hit the bell for reminders, the notification bell, so you make sure that you get notifications for when we have content so you don't miss any of it. Um, if you want to participate in the show by commenting or submitting questions, uh, make sure you've clicked through to YouTube. Um, you can't comment or submit questions to us if you're watching us embedded somewhere, whether it's on social media or insideindysports.com or any other place. Um, if you're on a desktop version, the chat box should be to the right-hand side of us. Um, if you're on a mobile version of some sort, uh, you, you should see a chat um, area below our talking head. So that should be all the basics you need to know about how to interact with us. If you are not a subscriber to InsideIndieSports.com, we have a, a deal going for our YouTube audience um, that is a 30-day free trial um, if you use promo code NDYT. Uh, when you use that code, you will get free access to our premium analysis and recruiting coverage and special access to us on the Insider Lounge, which is our premium message board where we spend all of our time um, and share all of our inf inside information first. There's a link uh, to sign up for that deal in the video description. So that's the preamble from us. Eric, let's let's talk some Notre Dame football. Okay, but after the show, you have to promise me how to unring the bell on all the things that my grandkids subscribe me to. <laughs> okay. Including we'll something that. called the annoying orange, I think it is. So, <laughs> wow. That sounds yeah, annoying. It is. <laughs> okay. So where will we start today? Where we are going to start, we're going to take stock at Notre Dame after getting to know the offensive newcomers, a new football director of performance, Lauren Landau, not Landau, as I had been saying it before meeting him. Uh, the Irish started spring semester classes and winter workouts three weeks ago and are closing in on the start of spring practice at a yet-to-be-released date in March. We do have the end date of spring practice. The Blue Gold game is set for 1 o'clock 
Eastern time on April 20th at Notre Dame Stadium. If you don't go to the stadium, the only way you can watch it is on Peacock. We are going to start, though, before we get into our opening drive with some quasi-breaking news, Sunday night, three-star defensive end C.J. May decommitted from the class. We had Tom Lemming on our podcast, longtime uh, recruiting analyst. He seemed to suggest in the podcast that C.J. was a guy to keep an eye on because of a pull perhaps towards Auburn. Tyler, you did the story on Sunday night during the Grammys. Is there more to it than just other teams having an interest in him? Um, I mean, that's that, that's the main thing. Like, he, he has continued to show interest in other teams, and they have shown interest in him. And so his recruitment has continued to go on. He wants to make visits. He's actually made three visits to Auburn since he's been committed to Notre Dame. Um, and so CJ and Notre Dame had conversations about where this was going and, um, it was decided that, uh, he should, um, withdraw his commitment and, and move on with, with his recruiting process. I think, um, it makes sense for both sides and this isn't necessarily something that blindsided Notre Dame. Notre Dame has been very active in recruiting other defensive ends, um, and already has three potential defensive ends committed in the class. Um, so they are continuing to do that and recruit other guys. And so it's a, it's a loss, but it's still Notre Dame is going to be okay. Like it's nice. It was nice to have CJ May in the class. Um, rivals had him ranked rated as a three-star defensive end. I know others saw, um, him more highly than that. The number 19 weak side defensive end in the 2025 class for rivals, a six foot four, 225 pounder out of Highland home, Alabama. Um, so Notre Dame um, and CJ may have parted ways um, and Notre Dame will, will figure out what its best options are to pursue forward. I, I think Damian Shanklin is obviously someone that Notre Dame has been on um, for, for a long time um, and recruiting and will continue to do so. Um, they were out on the recruiting trail this past month, could see some of the other top options where they stand with the guys that had already been recruiting and then, identified some new ones that it, it can re recruit now. So it's better to have this done with now um, than six months from now when, when Notre Dame's options would be more limited. Um, so I think that all sort of played in the timing of it. He recently came up to campus um, and uh, visited Notre Dame for the junior day and, and then decides, decided to go other ways. All right. Well, you gave us a pretty good, rundown of that. We're going to circle back to recruiting later in the show. Just wanted to get that out there. Um, and we're going to do our opening drive, which is meeting the offensive newcomers. And we're going to start with Riley Leonard. Um, Tyler, you did a story on Riley. Every one of us, I think, was around the big circle <laughs> of the circle of life, circle of Riley's life um, on Friday they kind of stagger the interviews so that he wasn't up there with a lot of people competing for attention. It was a good thing because he was really interesting, mm -hmm. but let's start with what's going on with his health since there was so much written and reported erroneously and correctly prior to a meeting with all of us on Friday. So where does his health stand right now? Yeah. So he is currently doing workouts with Notre Dame. He's doing everything but sprinting. Um, because he had a tightrope surgery on his 
right ankle um, in January. Uh, he said two weeks ago. Um, so I we're getting closing in on three weeks here now. Um, the decision was made once he came to Notre Dame uh, and consulted with Notre Dame's doctors to have the surgery because of the way his ankle had healed. That there was a thought that he didn't need surgery, and you sort of wait to see how it healed. And but the doctors determined that there would be a higher risk of injury if he didn't have this surgery, um, higher risk of re-injury. Um, and so this surgery is supposed to help prevent um, a reoccurrence of that high ankle sprain that he had, um, which was the same ankle sprain that he suffered against Notre Dame when Howard Cross landed on his leg uh, awkwardly. Um, and uh, <laughs> Riley joked that Howard still owes him dinner for that. Um, he already had the restaurant picked out. Yeah, he was like, yeah, he wants to go down to Ruth's Chris. So he, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe Riley Leonard actually has a Ruth's Chris uh, NIL deal and wanted to fit that plug in there. But um, so yeah, uh, he seemed in good spirits. He, I watched, I watched him come up the stairs to the interview session. Uh, we we interview guys, the the print reporters, uh, interview people on the second floor in the in, indoor athletics center um, for Notre Dame and. Uh, he sort of like bounced up them. It almost looked like he was doing it intentionally. I didn't ask him if he was trying to show off how healthy he was, but um, he, he did not look injured at all. He's, he wasn't even in a walking boot or anything like that. Um, so it looks like he's on track to be ready um, for spring. That's the plan. And uh, he seems to um, be in good spirits as well. He, I, I found him very engaging Um one of the things that came up a lot of different times and he had many, many answers for it was why he picked Notre Dame and who with whom he consulted in making that decision. So what was kind of the most interesting part of that? Cause there was a lot of, um, a lot of tangents to that conversation. Yeah. I don't know that there was like one specific reason why he picked Notre Dame. I think it was a combination of things. I think, in general, his decision to go into the transfer portal was like, hey, I, I want to put myself in the best position to maximize this chance at the NFL that, honestly, he, he seemed pretty pretty open about. He thought this time of year he would be preparing for the NFL draft now. He would have gone out last year, had a great year, and would be be done with college after three years and, and trying out for the NFL right now. That didn't happen. The injury sort of reset his expectations and timeline of things, um, and so – he looked into the transfer portal, and Notre Dame was what he found that he liked the most. He felt a pull in Notre Dame. He, he, he watched Rudy as a kid every day growing up. His great-grandfather played at Notre Dame, although I must say that I didn't find proof of that. <laughs> Notre Dame has a list of everyone who's played in a game. Now, maybe he was on the team and never actually played. I don't know. I still need to do some more research to find out <laughs> um, when exactly his great-grandfather played for Notre Dame. Uh, but uh, he liked Marcus Freeman, the players. He actually liked Jared Parker, believe it or not, um, before Jared Parker left for Troy, um, but he also likes Mike Denbrock as well. Talked to a lot of people, and he knows a lot of people that have experience or connections to Notre Dame. Um, the people with connections to Notre Dame would be David Cutcliffe, former Duke coach who was in line to be an offensive coordinator at Notre Dame before Mike Elko and Chad Clunder, who were with him at Duke, who spent time at Notre Dame in the past. He even spent time talking to Sam Hartman. Um, about his experience, and he said he's had multiple conversations with Sam Hartman. David Morris is his quarterback trainer who has ties to guys that have come to Notre Dame before and then consulted with all kinds of people um, back home in Fairhope, Alabama, whether it was his parents, his high school head coach, his, even some pastors. He's been leaning on all kinds of people for advice and 
how to how to handle things. So uh, definitely seems like he didn't go into this blind um, and is seeking all sorts of feedback and um, advice as, as he can get to get the best out of the situation. Yeah, one of the things I was amused with in his calculus about why Notre Dame was how impressed he was with Notre Dame's defense in the game yeah. where they played against each other, and then him finding out who was coming back. Oh, Riley Leonard, Howard, Howard Cross, Xavier Watts, Jack Kaiser. I mean, he named them by name of the guys coming back, so he was mm-hmm. pretty excited that that would be the compliment to Notre Dame's offense. Um, so, um, so what are your biggest takeaways and and beyond what we've talked about and did meeting Riley Leonard and getting to know him a little bit change at all your impression of him? Yeah. Well, so the defensive part was one of my biggest takeaways that he was impressed by their name's defense and knowing what they had coming back. And that did play a role in his decision. Um, I, I thought I just how open he was about his injury injury was refreshing to me. Like he could have been closed off and he doesn't have to answer all those questions. He could have just been vague or, um, Believe me, I know from experience. Stuck to another sport. (laughs) Stuck to a company line about it. But he, yeah, he he explained the whole process and uh, went through that. I I like towards the end, we didn't get to follow up with him about it, but he sort of flatly described uh, like that he he knows his weaknesses. He he said his weaknesses are loud and clear to him. Like, so he's well aware what they are. We didn't get to talk to him much about what he felt those are. Um, but I'm hoping, hopefully we get a chance to hear from him about that. And my hunch is based on the way the first conversation went, that he'd be pretty open and, and honest about that. I think just in general, it felt very different from what we had kind of become used to with Sam Hartman's media appearances. Um, Sam Hartman, a lot of times felt like he was on defense in interviews and he, he was either trying to give other people credit or, um, maybe pushing back on different things. And I think you, I think Sam Hartman came to Notre Dame a little bit jaded by his experiences with media. Um, I think that informed that as well. Um, but right. Leonard was certainly open, engaged and, and welcoming. Certainly that can change when it comes to season and, and some adversity hits. Um, but I, I, I like the way he handled things. I thought it, the injury stuff, he was even laughed. Like I mentioned the Howard cross joke, he was laughing off some of that stuff. And um, I don't know that Sam Hartman would have handled it the same way. Not that that means anything necessarily in how he will have success on the football field, but from our perspective and, and someone that we're dealing with um, and trying to get to know and trying to let fans know him better, um, it was it was a bit refreshing. Yeah, I they seem like very, very different personalities. I was very lucky in the summertime. I caught Sam Hartman on a great day where he was very open and very engaging, but in general, you're right. It felt like you <laughs> you were kind of pushing and getting a little bit of pushback um, mm-hmm. in some of the press conference that we had him in. To his credit, we asked some dumb questions sometimes. Yeah, fair. Yeah. So do we want to roll into CJ Card? Do you want to take a few questions before we... We don't have many questions yet, so we can go into... Well, let's talk about CJ Carr, but uh, if you have questions, please... Submit them to us, and we'll get to them uh, after we're done talking about CJ. Okay. So CJ Carr came in later, and in uh, fairness perspective, there were other people, choices to interview when he came up. But in general, when there's been somebody that's that high rated of a recruit, there is 
a huge demand to talk to him. And it was a little bit more subdued with him. And I really thought that he conducted himself very well. Um, I had only talked to him one-on-one once before he came to Notre Dame and he was impressive then. And I thought Mm -hmm. he was very mature in the way he handled himself uh, with the media. So Tyler, you were there, I know, at least for part of it. Um, What are your expectations about what he can get accomplished this spring? Because he'll come in as number four. Yeah, I I think it's just about getting a sense for everything, learning the playbook, developing chemistry with receivers, learning how Gino Gadouli wants him to do things, how Mike Dembrock wants him to do things. Um, I think it's just more about just sort of getting that experience um, than it is about anything sort of tangible of like this is where he will be on the depth chart or this is – um, this is what the timeline should be for when he'll be the, the next starting quarterback at Notre Dame. I just think it's about getting this experience, getting as much action as is possible. I know that it may be difficult with four quarterbacks, um, so we'll see how much progress he can make. But I think even without the reps, there's still plenty of things to learn um, as he goes through his first uh, spring practices with Notre Dame. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good measuring stick and I think that's where his head is having talked to him yep. that he's just trying to get better he's not worried about the depth chart right now um and just realistically from having watched the springs where there is a legitimate uh competition going on between number 1 and number 2 number 3 can get lost and I'm thinking what's number 4 going to get now that's not uniform throughout you know, I think uh, with the uh, Everett Golson, the last Everett Golson Malik Zaire competition, where Everett ended up transferring to Florida State after spring when he might have won the job, Deshaun Kaiser got nothing, and it showed up in the spring game. I mean, he looked awful right. in the blue gold game, but um, you know, we'll see how creative they are and be able to get reps for him and so forth. Again, given what they already have on the roster, given what the situation is, and if everybody's healthy and everybody stays, would you still expect to see him as the number four guy going into the Texas A&M game in the season opener on August 31st in Carter Carl's land? Yeah, I mean, if everyone stays, I think that would be the most likely scenario. I don't necessarily think that everyone staying is the most likely scenario. So if you maybe like pick regardless of the qualifiers, just what, what is he um, come the season opener? I would say third string just because of the chance of someone transferring out existing. Um, I, I just don't think it's necessarily a given that he passes up Kenny Minchie right away. Um, I think Kenny Minchie is a capable quarterback as well. Um, and obviously it would be, I would think very hard to pass up Steve Angeli, um, given his experience um, last season. Uh, so I, I think he'll probably be fourth if all four guys are there, but um, I don't know that that necessarily means a lot in terms of what his future ends up becoming. What do you yeah. think? You agree? Yeah, I, I agree. I think his mindset too. I mean, I think he wants to be ready for 2024, but I think his mindset is looking at 2025 as – the timeline that he's more concerned with being ready to be Mm -hmm. competing for an open job in 2025. 
um, and putting himself in position for that. So I think that's where his head is. Anything else jump out at you about him in the time that you were eavesdropping? Um, no, he was about as I expected. I mean, I've had enough experiences and seen enough interviews with him. Um, definitely a polished kid. I, I asked him about I, what I think is interesting is like CJ Carr has been sort of the next big thing for quite some time now. Um, and how do you continue to get better? Um, when you're sort of in that situ- situation, I mean, his recruitment was settled for so long. Um, how much growth has there been for him as a, as a recruit? How, do, how does he continue to push himself that now this coming in our day and puts him in the complete opposite position. Now he's, he's got to earn everything. Not that he didn't earn everything he got before, but he's got to start all over um, and, and get in, get himself in a position to, to compete, to be a starter in the future. So um, I think uh, CJ Carr, at least as a person is who I think we've all come to expect to know. Now, obviously, fans might not have that perspective on him yet, but um, I think uh, he's going to handle everything the right way as, as, as things play out uh, moving forward. What, what stood out to you? How many questions he got about Michigan? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was like a couple of different rounds. Like it was early on and there was more people. I was like, Oh, come on guys. We already talked to him about Michigan. What's going on? Yeah. He rooted for Michigan. His grandpa coached there. His dad played there. It's okay. He's not thinking about Michigan. In fact, he drew the analogy. He thinks that Notre Dame can do what Michigan did. So he said all the right things about Michigan as far as I'm concerned. But the other thing that was kind of interesting was his take on Lauren Lando, who we'll get into here in a little bit, the new um, director of uh, football performance, and how impressed he was with the individualized by position group the workouts are. And and uh, now he doesn't have a point of reference of having Matt Bayless, although I'm sure that he's been around and had met Matt Bayless and had met Fred Hale. I mean, he's been around almost since Paul Longo was the guy. <laughs> it seems like hanging around Notre Dame's program. But uh, um, just that perspective was interesting that he was able to pinpoint that and really see how that was beneficial. I also thought it was it was kind of funny how he was like, yeah, yeah what the, it's so great to have this indoor facility. Like I'm used to not being able to do anything this time of year in Michigan. Um, and so I think it's a, a, probably something I, I know I hadn't really given much thought to, but those guys have access to that indoor facility and they can do all kinds of stuff, um, which isn't sort of odd or rare or that special on a college campus, but it is a different thing when you're used to sort of a much different setup as a high schooler. So we'll move on to Chris Mitchell. Um, Notre Dame will have nine wide receivers in spring practice. They'll have another couple join them to bring that number to 11 in June when Logan Saldate and Bo Collins enroll. Bo is a transfer from Clemson who's taking classes remotely in South Bend to finish up his Clemson degree. Logan is out in California finishing up his high school commitments out there. Um, so what were your initial impressions of Chris Mitchell and are you buying the thoughts of him being an elite speed guy? Yeah. I mean, he looks fast on film. Um, and so that's why I asked him, I asked him flat out, what's, what's your 40? Um, and he had an answer. A lot of guys, a lot of times guys won't even say an answer. They're like, I don't know. 
And that's to me, it's not a good sign because I feel like most guys do know. They just don't want to say what it is. Um, he said he runs a four three and he's trying to get to a four two, which I mean, I don't know. Some guys when they talk about their speed, they might be exaggerating a little bit. It might be like sort of like heights. Guys, guys tend to lie about how tall they are sometimes too. So maybe he's not. Marcus I mean, Burton told me on the phone he was six foot one. <laughs> the point guard for Notre Dame's yeah. basketball team, who yeah. I don't think is maybe not even five eleven, but we'll see. That's what um, so. I mean, we'll have more opportunities to see how the speed translates. I also asked GPS wise because I mean, um, those those are measured too in practices and in, in games. Depending on the, he actually told me he didn't he didn't wear them in games. The device that tracks the speed because he thought it was distracting. Um, but he said he was tracked at twenty two miles per hour in practice um, at his fastest speed, and that uh, topped all the all the wide receivers that were at the Senior Bowl. Um, what they did in these pra- in practices leading up to the Senior Bowl. So not to say that none of those guys in the Senior Bowl have ever hit twenty two in a different practice, but at least. In their NFL audition, going against top competition, didn't hit that speed. So, will he be able to hit those speeds? Will he be able to live up to that speed at Notre Dame? We'll see. Um, the evidence that I would point to that's like, okay, there's something to his speed is that he was a deep threat target for FIU last year and, and made the most of that. Um, he was only uh, one of five players, or no, five players caught more deep ball targets and deep ball being qualified as. 20 plus yards according to uh pro football focus five and players nationally five players nationally yeah fbs receivers um that did that and four of the five are expected to be first round picks in the nfl draft uh roma Odunze from washington malik neighbors and brian thomas jr from lsu ucf's javon baker um who i wasn't terribly familiar with if i'm being honest um and ohio state's marvin harrison jr those so the everyone but Baker being the four guys that are potential first round draft picks in April. Um, and worth noting, Hey, that, that guy that was the LSU offensive coordinator is at Notre Dame too. Now maybe they don't, Notre Dame doesn't have Jaden Daniels at quarterback, but, um, or quite frankly, those receivers. Um, but Chris Mitchell had success last year with the freshman quarterback at FIU. Um, and we'll see if he can elevate himself to an even higher level here at, at Notre Dame with Riley Leonard. The one thing I really like about him besides his hair, I think he has cool hair. <laughs> and that's, if you've not seen it, it's kind of piled up and looks like it's going to explode, um, is that he dramatically improved every year he was at Florida International. His numbers mm-hmm. were better, and he just got better and better. He he definitely comes off as a confident guy. Um, do you think he can be Notre Dame's number one receiver and and if he is, what what does that mean? Does that mean everybody else isn't that good, or does is that a good sign that he his speed is translating? I would say it's a good sign. Um, first, like I think he can be the number one receiver. I mean, it depends. Like, how do we want to measure that? Is it reception? Is it receiving yards? I think there's a chance that maybe Jaden Thomas has more rece- receptions, but maybe Chris Mitchell has has more receiving yards. We'll see. We'll see how that all plays out. But if 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 Chris Mitchell is at the top in either of those categories, that means that he's a big play threat. If he's the leading receiver, if he's able to get that enough catches um, to lead Notre Dame in receptions, I would think that would make Notre Dame's offense more dynamic. Uh, unless he becomes like a, <laughs> they just throw a bunch of screens to him. But I, I don't think that's going to be the 
the best way to to utilize Christian Mitchell. Um, and so I, I would imagine if he ends up being Notre Dame's leading receiver, that that is a good sign for Notre Dame's offense. Now, obviously, if he's up there by himself and everyone else has 20 catches, now maybe that's not great. But um, I do think overall um, his is – his ascendance could be a good, good, be, good sign for for Notre Dame's offense. What do, what are your thoughts on his potential and what that would mean for Notre Dame's offense? Well, I mean, if he is Notre Dame's number one receiver, I do think it's a good thing, and I think it's going to help everybody else in the offense if he is. Right, because Notre Dame's offense, when that field receiver has been somebody that can run by cornerbacks, that opens up other things in Notre Dame's offense. It opens up their running game. It opens up the boundary receiver a little bit because defensive coordinators have to decide, okay, am I going to move a safety over to the side of the field to deal with Will Fuller or Kevin Stefferson or whoever it is that, or can I just do what teams did last year and deal with Tobias Merriweather and not really worry that much. Rico Flores played that position some last year. And at the end of the year, he was more of a handful but even then, I don't know that he was a guy that was running by cornerbacks. Right. Um, and so having an elite speed guy who can catch the ball, I think would would open up things for other people, and it would it would be really good for Notre Dame's offense. So really eager to see. Now they have some other possible options there. I mean, Cam Williams is a taller receiver, although not that much taller, I guess, than. Um, Chris is about six foot six one, right? Yeah, I think I think he described himself as six foot, but then he's listed as six one. So, uh, well, I don't know which one is more accurate. What he said. Usually, guys don't say they're shorter than they are, so I would right. imagine he is only six foot. Cam Williams is six two. I mean, there there have been five wide receivers signed by Notre Dame in the Rivals era, which goes all the way back to two thousand two, that were top fifty overall recruits, and he's one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and yet he admits route running is going to be a big part of his evolution during spring, during the summer, during training right. camp. That's where he has to get better. Um, Micah Gilbert is, I, I would think is going to start out at that side, uh, feel not as fast as those other two. And then I think he's a boundary receiver personally, but yeah, the, the need There's is on the field too, side. Yeah. The <laughs> need is on the field side. And then. K.K. Smith, we think, will be looked at maybe on the outside. He's the He'll be a sophomore this year. He played one snap in the uh, Sun Bowl. He was injured or he was recovering from surgery pretty much all season from shoulder surgery, so he didn't play very much. Really thin kid, supposedly very fast. We really never saw him run because he had the sling on his shoulder or he was rehabbing his shoulder uh, the last practices that we saw. So there's a lot of good options there. It's going to be a real fun spring, and it's a really important position group for Notre Dame to get better under Mike Denbrock and Mike Brown. So, All right. Okay. I'm, I'm going to throw in some questions here, and I'll okay. guess one, one is a Lauren Lando question, um, so it'll lead us into our discussion about him. Uh, first, Jeffrey Stevens, and thanks, Jeffrey, for asking multiple questions. Uh, when do you get access to Marcus Freeman? I would think – I don't know that we're going to have access to him until right before spring practice. Um, 
because Notre Dame's not going to sign anybody in February during the February signing day that used to mm -hmm. be so big. I don't know that they'll roll him out for that. I mean, they're in a recruiting dead period, so they could have him. Another possibility, so obviously I don't know. The answer is <laughs> I don't know. But but uh, another possibility is maybe rolling him out when, when they introduce Mike Denbrock to the media. Now that he's off the road recruiting, I would imagine we'll get a shot to talk to him sometime in February. So that's my guess. Right. But if we don't talk to him in February, then it'll be right before spring practice starts. Yeah, we, we're supposed to talk to him some more players on this coming Friday. Um, he was not on that list. Notre Dame could certainly change that, but um, that uh, we don't really we don't have an answer yet. But hopefully, it's soon. But um, I th this time of year is weird because people want to know stuff from the coaches. Like the coaches aren't the one that know everything. <laughs> I'd rather talk to Lauren Lando every week <laughs> this time of year than the coaches um, because they're, they're he's more in touch with all, what's what's going on and seeing these guys and what they're up to. So um, I don't know uh, if Marcus Freeman will get in the weight room with those guys and maybe he'll have some uh, in person interactions with them. Well, uh, Lauren out. said he he'd made an appearance. Now again, he hasn't been around that much to do it because right. he's been recruiting, but. He said that he was impressed at what a good worker he was. All right. Next question is from Jeffrey Stevens again. It appears Groundhog Day has passed without a finalization of the 2024 schedule. Any news on when this will be official? It was supposed to happen before Groundhog Day. <laughs> so I would say any day now. But um, Notre Dame and its timelines are kind of like asking kids when their homework's going to be done your <laughs> own kids so <laughs> so i would expect it to get done here soon there's no reason i mean they have they are letting people buy or apply for season tickets without them knowing exactly what's the schedule mm -hmm. but um i would expect we'll know here very soon all right, Ed Coquillard asks, how does Pro Football Focus come up with their ratings and who does it? I have read that my football in the know folks say the rankings don't always correlate to success at the next level. Do you want to start with that or do you want me to jump in there? Uh, I can start with that. I, okay. um, Pro Football Focus has its own folks who evaluate film um, and they have a grading system on, I think it's like, I want to say it's negative two to two. Um, based on like if a guy does what they think he's supposed to do and how well he does it or how unwell he does, how poorly he, he does that. Um, and so they try to grade every play, um, every player on every play, and then they sort of tally that up and kind of they have a whole formula that they do for all of that, um, which is like that is a, a similar way to how coaches evaluate film, right? Um, now, obviously, they're not the coach. They don't know necessarily that what the play is, um, what they're being coached to do. The idea is that these are smart football people that know what they're doing. Now is the same is a my guess. I don't really know this. I haven't gone in the weeds. Like I would imagine that they're better, quote unquote, analysts are doing like Notre Dame games, whereas like maybe they don't have the top notch guy doing the Marshall film on a weekly basis. Uh, maybe that, maybe that's why. Uh, oh shoot, what's his name? Uh, Jaden Harrison. No, no, no. The offensive lineman, Kane Madden, was, oh, rated, Kane was Madden. Rated, rated so well, and then he didn't he didn't uh, rate nearly as well at Notre Dame. Um, but uh, 
I mean, you're right. Like it's it's not and it's not a it's not intended. Even though the name Pro Football Focus makes it seem like it's a pro projection, it, it just it started as a pro thing. They were grading pro players, um, and that's where the name came from. Um, but it's not necessarily like the highest graded. Although, like Joe Alt, he is very highly graded offensive tackle. He is also a highly uh, coveted recruit and likely to be a first round or top, even top ten pick. Um, so th- th- it doesn't always correlate. Um, I think from my perspective, I use it as just sort of like another way to sort of check in on opinions of people. Um, I think some of the stuff, like like I was mentioning the stats earlier about uh, Chris Mitchell, like that's great stuff. Like I wouldn't necessarily have access to that information because they have people that are charting all this stuff. And th- that's the stuff I like the best about it. The ratings we can argue about, like some, they might rate a guy higher than I feel. Um, he deserved during a game. I think, I mean, it's, it's only so much objectivity can go into it. Uh, but uh, uh, so I, I think that um, that's probably the best way to describe everything. I don't know if I missed anything there, Ed, uh, Eric, what did I make any sense there? Did I ramble on? You tell me what, what I miss. Well, you rambled, but it was good rambling. What, <laughs> what I'll add is they'll, I think what's really valuable for us beyond the grades is the snap counts because they get those right. And that's something, even if you go back and watch the game would be really uh, tedious to, to make sure that you got everybody's snap counts, right. It's very valuable to us. They do two sets of rankings. They'll do one overnight Saturday night to Sunday and have them ready for Sunday morning. And that's usually from the TV copy. And then they'll get the 22 copy. They'll get the where you can see all 22 players and you can see everything a lot better. And they will kind of adjust those ratings up or down. And sometimes there are significant changes like Charles Jagas's Sun Bowl performance went from best lineman to one of the worst linemen that played on Notre Dame that day. But uh, it was still interesting. I think it's just one tool to evaluate. So it's not the end all be all. Like if you say, well, you know, Xavier Watts wasn't ranked one of the top safeties in the country by pro football focus. And it's hard for me to see. Uh, And yet they're pretty consistent with certain players. They love Jack Kaiser. Jack Kaiser ended up being one of the top rated linebackers. And he has every year that he's been a regular for Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. He's been one of their highest rate. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. Um, I've talked to people like, uh, well, I won't say, but <laughs> somebody that is a offensive line connoisseur who thinks it's garbage. And I've talked to other people that say they do a pretty good job. So again, I always try to preface it. This is one evaluative tool, but by no means the definitive evaluative tool. Yeah. And it like, if you think about it, if one person is giving the grades for like, does that same person know as much about offensive line play as they know about receiver play? Like, you, and how much caffeine have they had? And like, and doing like, it overnight. If they're this smart, is this the, why wouldn't they actually be a coach? Right. I, I, I don't know. Like you could, but also it's probably a better life. <laughs> why aren't we coaches? <laughs> well, yeah, it's a better lifestyle. You don't have to recruit, <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, any opinion can be, uh, um, dissected and that's all this is it's an opinion like obviously it's very stat based and film based but it's still an opinion at the end of the day all right we want to talk about lauren lando 
Um, so let's get that conversation started by a question that John Murray submitted here. Do you expect that the new strength and conditioning coach will have a positive effect on keeping more players healthy? Well, you're never going to be perfect with that because they, even if they were robots, they would have need right new parts or things would break and, and so forth. But they're certainly leaning as much as they can in the direction of being on the cutting edge of recovering, being on the cutting edge of injury prevention, sports science. Lauren Lando is really in lockstep with John Waggle, who came aboard in May of 2022. His title is associate athletic director, but he's works with sports performance. And, and so they really lean into as much as they can, the science about things. And, and this is something that Lauren mentioned that Marcus Freeman is also in agreement here. So if, if Lauren and, and John say, you know what, we need to back off on these guys a little bit today. He's going to listen to them. He's not going to fight them on that and say, the heck with that. They gave up, you know, 30 points to Purdue. They need to uh, practice for four hours today as punishment. So I think all those factors make it more positive that players will max out being healthy as much as they can. Yeah, I, I know when he was first hired, just looking into him um, and just doing, uh, frankly, just Google searches, you, there was some stuff about from his time with the Broncos that people had come up with some studies that suggested that maybe the Broncos were more injury prone when he was the strength and conditioning uh, co coordinator out there. I think every, it, I think it's probably hard to draw a direct correlation to that, and I think um, there's probably all sorts of caveats, and I, I can't pretend to know exactly what was happening with the Denver Broncos during those years, or if, or if it had anything to do with Lauren Landau. It could have been related to the the guys that they were signing and the, how injury-prone that they may have been. I, I think there's all, all kinds of things that can go into that. Um, so I think uh, um, that's um my perspective on that I, I i don't know there's any way to guarantee either way what's going to happen um but i think as long as you're exhibiting like sound sports science and being smart about it and trying to make sure that the coaches are also buying into what he's telling them um because if if he's saying hey maybe marcus freeman's on board but say the wide receivers coach is saying no we need to run a bunch more uh deep routes today like these guys need to get action doing that and if that's not what's happening maybe those guys are in position to to get injured in, in some way or something like that so there's all kinds of variables that can be involved but certainly um the hope is that he's not going to sort uh, impact Notre Dame in a negative way but I think it's also hard to like guarantee that it would sort of make a positive impact either because I, I, my my perspective on this is that fans lack perspective on this it's like whenever something happens to your team, you have no idea how many ACLs are being torn or how many ankles are being torn, uh, tweaked or hamstrings are being pulled from another team because you just don't follow other teams that closely. And so you always feel like it's happening so much worse for your team when a lot of times it might just be the same as everyone else. Well, I'll tell you, the um, whoever works with the women's basketball team definitely takes a beating in that area. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right, uh, so Eric, you spent uh, between the two of us more time talking to to Lauren than I did. What what was 
the most important thing that you learned from him? Um, and how different does it seem he approaches things than than Matt Bayless did? I would say they take a very different path to the same end. They have very different personalities. He is not Matt Bayless 2.0, nor is he asked to be. When Brian Kelly hired Matt Bayless after their disastrous 4-8 season in 2016, he not only was hired to revolutionize their strength and conditioning program, and he did very well. He was asked to help build leadership, asked to build culture, and he did. A lot of the ideas Marcus Freeman still uses, Brian Kelly used until the end, mm -hmm. uh, like the uh, off-season accountability teams they call SWAT teams, that was Matt Bayless's idea. The hungry, starving, satisfied board, that was Matt Bayless's idea. Um, I think Lauren doesn't have as much and admitted as much, he isn't the driver of that. He is taking his cues from Marcus Freeman in that sense. So here's a guy that's worked with UFC fighters, Olympians, uh, Major League Baseball, NFL, and NBA players, all different kinds, and he's coming to a college setting. He, he has some ideas about how to maximize the culture but again it's up to marcus freeman to set it that's a big difference he's definitely not um well i mean in his own words i'm not a yell at the top of my lungs guy nor am i a you're going to run through a wall for me kind of guy um i did see in the highlights that were on twitter today that other people are yelling in the weight room but, <laughs> but lord isn't one of them so again, it's it's his personality. Another big difference, and this is the one that um, I think Marcus Freeman was most excited about, was something C.J. Carr, I mentioned about C.J. Carr early, tailoring the workouts to position groups, tailing the, tailoring the workouts to individuals. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's going to be interesting to see how that works out. Again, our point of reference so far is people that are newcomers. They're new to Notre Dame and they're new to Lauren. And obviously we had Ryan Harris who had worked uh, with, with Lauren when he was a pro player and beyond. Uh, but when we get people that can make that Bayless-Lauren-Lando comparison, players that have been on the team for a while, mm -hmm. then I think we'll get an interesting uh, comparison there. But impressive guy i mean he he definitely um is able to articulate his goals he definitely walked in the door saying i've got to prove myself to these guys i haven't done anything for you yet right and so I, i'm gonna prove myself my resume means nothing to you and and so let's work together so um very interesting guy and and i hope to have more conversations with him not just a once in a hiring conversation. Yeah. What the best way I, for strength and conditioning coach, especially like the, the proof is in the results, right? Like if I'm a, if I'm a freshman football player and I want to buy into what he's doing, if he's making me faster and stronger, more flexible, I'm like, okay, this is working. Um, so even now, like a month in, like 
there might not be drastic results to to see yet. So even if we talk to guys that like say for instance like Jack Kaiser, who's been just in the program for so long that he has a good perspective of everyone um and everything. He might not necessarily be able to speak as strongly about what Lauren Lando is doing because it just it's it's a process. Like strength and conditioning doesn't happen overnight, um, and any sort of changes that he may be implementing um, may be slow to take at first. Um, but I think there there there'll be an understanding, um, and I think the culture carryover from guys like Jack Kaiser can matter too. Like those guys can set the standard um, rather than um, having to rely on. Uh, Lauren Lando to do that. So, um, the, the one thing I didn't hear from guys, and and I, um, a lot of them were asked about Lauren, and mm-hmm. and they all had positive things. They didn't feel like this was overly taxing on them. They didn't feel like I remember two years ago, Aiden Gobira called the workouts gruesome, and he meant I think grueling, but he called them gruesome, and, <laughs> and it, it was more of a kind of smack you in the face kind of culture shock mm-hmm. uh winter workouts uh, so i'm not saying that they're necessarily easier but you're not getting that culture shock kind of um other than the natural differences between high school and college yeah and it, I, it could be a different way of approaching things like maybe matt bayless does his like more taxing workout like early on and like i know matt bayless had he would have like themed workouts like there was like a valentine's day massacre weight lifting a day that i don't think was a fun time for those guys um and so he sort of would build in sort of themes to that and i think i'm interested to see like how how that lauren lando integrates that kind of stuff which may seem sort of corny or cheesy from the outside sometimes but I think can matter for guys that are trying to buy into things and getting guys working together and, and doing stuff like that. So we'll see how his message resonates and so, sort of how his structure um, influences how, how these guys are, are progressing and, and buying into what he's doing. So the first time I met Matt Bayless was during um, a, I, I got a chance to spend a day with Brian, a work day with Brian Kelly. We didn't like, put on our jammies and watch movies together or anything <laughs> later in the day. But Jim Harbaugh would have done that with you though. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But but I spent the work day with him. And so we're up in Kelly's office and we go down to the weight room. And from outside the weight room I can hear this bass boom boom boom. And it's Van Halen running with the devil and it's full blast and there's nobody else in there but him. And he's just like this, shakes my hand. All his voice is already rasping. I don't know who he had been yelling at, uh, but just a really intense guy. But a guy I have a lot of respect for. So that, again, there's different ways to get to the same goal. And there, I, I asked um, Lauren if he had a rasp, and he said no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Matt Bayless's rasp is just permanent now. That's that's years and years of damage to his voice that that, that has uh, put his voice into that state. Um, one thing that I was very important and valuable that you had found out, um, following talking to Lauren Landau was what his staff looks like. Can you fill in read or our viewers that maybe didn't read your story? Shame on them if they haven't. No, I'll, I'll kidding aside who who's on his staff, who's, who's working with him in terms of the strength and conditioning stuff. Yeah. He brought in two guys and he 
kept two guys and I, uh, he kept Fred Hale, who was the interim between, um, when Matt Bayless left in July. Right. And then, um, and then he also kept, I'm going to have to look up the new yeah, names. No problem. Um, but he, he brought into, so there's four assistants and I think that's good. You have some continuity guys that know the players, especially Fred. And then you have, um, you have two new guys that he had worked with both in his past. One of them had been at Washington state this past year. One work, he, Lauren has his own sports performance company in Denver and a guy that had, um, worked there, um, with him. So Fred Hale and Tony Fusco yeah. are from Bayless's staff. Richard Garasio and Travis Duffel are the newcomers. Um, so we'll get to know them a little bit more. But uh, Richard has probably more background in working in a college setting, while Travis, um, it looked like his background was more in uh, Lawrence business. So he's working with all kinds of pro athletes and uh, Olympic sports people. So I think that's pretty, I think that's a pretty good blend. Okay, all right. Is there anything else on the Lando front that we haven't hit? You think we need to, to discuss? I think one thing that I didn't include the story, I put it on the board. I couldn't work it into the story was his approach to the mental side of it. Cause I think that's really important when you look at how teams perform in the fourth quarters, it's not just a physical training and endurance it's their mental training and he talked about that you know there's certain qualities that give way when you're fatigued you know your balance and your bend give way when you're fatigued so they really work on that aspect of um realizing that and being locked in mentally and so again it's going to be as we get into spring practice it's going to be interesting for the first time in a long time, I'm going to pay attention during the stretching period. <laughs> All right. <laughs> to see if that's different. Other than Marcus coming up to everybody and giving him a pat. <laughs> All right. Um, I wanted to talk quickly about Eric Goins. I know um, we're getting late in the hour here, so we want to talk some recruiting as well. I know we have some recruiting questions. Uh, but first, I have this question from Michael McFadden on the recruiting front. Um Michael says, sorry, guys, I should know this by now, but are we slash ND expecting any new recruits on Wednesday, February 7th? Thanks. Great discussion again. Um, Michael, no, Notre Dame is not expecting and Wednesday, February 7th, if anyone's wondering why he's asking that. Uh, that's when National Signing Day is. That's the second signing period for football. Uh, but Notre Dame is no longer recruiting anyone else in the 2024 class, which has become basically the the – the late routine period for, for Notre Dame. Well, no, it's the routine. Like that's, that's not a change. Like this is how it's sort of, de- this is how it's changed over the last few years is that Notre Dame basically yeah. signs everyone in December and there isn't much, much of the late recruitments that Notre Dame is in the running for. Um, so no more if, fake phone calls in February, no more fake phone calls in February. Um, Notre Dame is all in on the 2025 class um, moving forward right now. Okay, so as we move into recruiting, or did we have more questions? No more questions. Okay. Uh, so where does the class stand now without C.J. May? Are they still the number one class in 2025? 
Yeah, Notre Dame's still the number one class with 13 commitments. Um, Notre Dame's star average actually improved because he was one of the three-star commits in the class. Now Notre Dame only has two, Ka'o Kia and uh, Will Black. Um, Notre Dame still has three defensive end commits, Joseph Reef and Christopher Burgess, um, who are defensive ends on uh, according to ra- the rivals' rate ratings and rankings. Um, and Dominic Hulak is listed as a linebacker, but it's more of a Viper um, prospect for Notre Dame. Um, so Notre Dame will continue to recruit other defensive ends. I mentioned Damian Shanklin earlier, um, Julian Marks, Darren Ekinigbon. I need to learn how to say his name. Um, and our guys that Notre Dame had previously offered that they're continuing to recruit Ethan Utley and Javion Campbell are two new offers. I think there's a chance that maybe Utley and Marks end up as being defensive tackles on the next level. Um, but Notre Dame has continued to recruit those guys and then, Campbell actually visited Notre Dame uh, this past Thursday, so uh, didn't wait long after getting an offer from Notre Dame to get up on campus. One of Notre Dame's top targets is set to announce his college decision on Thursday. Four-star offensive tackle Owen Strebig from Wisconsin. Uh, how, what do you think about Notre Dame's chances and who else is competing with the Irish? Yeah, I like Notre Dame's chances. I've had a future cast in for in Notre Dame's favor for Owen since July, which might be probably the longest standing future cast that I've I've made. Um, his final five are Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Miami, USC, and Florida State. I would probably list them in a, in order in terms of favorites and like likelihood of where he ends up committing. Wisconsin and Miami have made strong pushes here down the stretch as well. Um, but yeah, uh, a top. Offensive tackle target, ranked the number six offensive tackle in the country by rivals in the 2025 class, number 66 overall. Six foot eight, 295 pound kid out of Wisconsin is announcing on Thursday. And we'll see if Notre Dame can, can finish there and, and get his commitment and keep things rolling in that 2025 class. And for people that are really only casual recruiting uh, consumers, <laughs> Chad Bowden's name probably doesn't pop up a lot. It did this last week uh, because Michigan was trying to make overtures and get Notre Dame's director of recruiting away from Notre Dame. He ends up deciding to stay with Notre Dame. How significant is this both for the casual and the hardcore recruiting fan? Yeah, it's definitely significant. He's a big part of Notre Dame's recruiting success. Um, has been with Marcus Freeman since his days at Cincinnati and um, decided to remain loyal to to Marcus Freeman rather than um, take a attractive offer from Michigan. And uh, I think it's important. He's not just – even if you don't follow recruiting that closely, you've probably seen Chad uh, Bowden in – whether it's a leprechaun suit, a CIA suit <laughs> attire. He's, he's always doing something goofy – um, to like have have a fun time with the recruits when they're on campus. Um, he's uh, dressed up as a referee before, I think. Um, so he does all kinds of things. To he showed up at the airport with a boombox. Yeah, showed up to the airport with a boombox. Yeah, I think uh, I think he's made some enemies. I don't even know what that song's called. I call it the Chad Bowden music because they play it on third or fourth down at the stadium. Yeah, I think I call it the Six Flags song because I feel like they played it for Six Flags a lot, but I don't even know what the name of the song is either. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, he he's a big energy guy. Like the the recruits love him. He knows all the recruits really well. They know him really well. He talks to everyone. Um, 
he a lot of times he may be the first guy that they talk to from Notre Dame. Um, he's very active and out front, and even in the transfer portal, like uh, some of these guys, like Chris Mitchell um, and Jaden Harrison, like that. They, I think they said that Chad was the first person they spoke to once they got in the portal from Notre Dame. So um, he plays a big role in communicating with these guys, um, getting to know them, finding what, finding out what how they what makes them tick. Um, he's also an evaluator. Um, as well. So he has an input on um, who Notre Dame is going after um, and has a staff that helps him with that. Um, and so we'll see like what, how his sort of role will expand. I imagine it will expand in some way uh, here moving forward, but I don't know what exactly that'll look like, what sort of title that will bring him. Uh, Notre Dame historically. He won't have to cut Marcus Freeman's lawn anymore. <laughs> yeah. Notre Dame historically, I found like they don't like new titles in in uh, the athletic department, so it, sometimes it could be a little bit slow process to whether he's the general manager or something else. Um, he's the director of recruiting now. We'll see what what it changes to. Even if he has the same title, his role might be expanding. Um, so definitely a big big re- retainment and recruiting win for Notre Dame to to keep him away from Michigan. Quickly before you make one last sweep for questions or comments or whatever. Um, the senior bowl was Saturday. We were both off, but I think we caught at least glimpses of it. Um, there were five Notre Dame players in the game. Javante Jean Baptiste was on the losing American team. And then there was the four guys on the national team, two linebackers, Maris Leofau and JD Bertrand, Cam Hart at cornerback. Sam Hartman at quarterback, although some people might have thought he was playing for the American team when he (laughs) threw the ball to the Louisville defensive back. Um, Any quick thoughts on how those guys performed at the senior? Yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't see much of it besides clips, so I I don't know that I have any thoughts about it. Um, It's Well, I hope Kim Hart isn't injured, though. Yeah, I did see that, um, and uh, hopefully he – Maybe he just aggravated his shoulder or something minor, and it was it was enough to not continue playing um, after he made a tackle because obviously he's had shoulder issues throughout his career, and I think that's going to be something that he has to answer to and like get poked and prodded about um, as as it relates to the NFL combine and all that stuff to make sure that he has a clean bill of health and what his chances of, of staying healthy are. Um, but yeah, another step in the process for those guys. We'll find out. Who makes the NFL Combine list? Probably some it has to be here sometime soon. It's uh, early. What will come out that or the Notre Dame twenty twenty four football <laughs> schedule first? Uh, we should have a yeah, pool. Given the track record, I'd probably say the Combine at this point. Um, so that uh, yeah, JD Bertrand I think was the best based statistically. I didn't I didn't see much of his actual performance, but he had a good week of um, practice. Good week of practice. He was named the uh, best linebacker. Uh, for his team by his teammates the the I think it was the running backs and the offensive linemen that went against him were the ones who voted for him um, a lot of those guys I think put up like impressive GPS numbers in terms of their speed um, and practices as well so um, a good showing for Notre Dame overall um, and uh, JD Bertrand's he's gonna do everything he can to to make someone say no to drafting him because I think he's just the kind of guy that doesn't have a lot of the things that you would say that is an NFL linebacker, but he plays like one um, from time to time. So uh, we'll see what happens uh, for all those guys. I wanted to mention Eric Goins, who I wrote a story about. Um, he is a 30-year-old 
uh, former army uh, uh, officer um, who joined Notre Dame's football program for the 2024 season. He actually um, enrolled at Notre Dame last summer um, in August, but he wasn't able to make it happen fast enough to get here and join the team. And so um, he's able to play because he played four seasons um, at the Citadel, um, but he still had one season of eligibility left because he redshirted as a freshman and your eligibility clock freezes um, for, for folks who are in active duty. Um, and he was in uh, the army for seven years um, and uh, we came back to, came back to Notre Dame to be a, an MBA student and uh, is working on that. Um, and a, a very interesting story. Um, if you haven't read that story, I'd encourage you to look for it because it's pretty, pretty cool to see um, what he's did for our country um, and his decision to, to give football one last try. Do you think he'll ever get into a game? Mitch Jeter was recruited to be Spencer Schrader's replacement. Maybe he can carve out like a kickoff role or something. I I, I don't know. Um, I'm certainly not a, a kicking <laughs> savant. Uh, I, I think Miss Notre Dame is very confident in Miss Jeter, and that was why they went after him. But Marty Biaggi was certainly welcoming to having Eric on board and, and, and getting him in there and uh, finding a way that he can, whether it's just providing some leadership and experience and um, some valuable lessons that way. Um, I think it's a, a good ad for Notre Dame as a walk-on to some guy who's who's shown a lot of leadership and courage already in his his, his life as a 30-year-old. Do we have any last straggling questions? Jeffrey Stevens wants to place your bets on the Super Bowl. Who, who you got, San Francisco or Kansas City? Well, they've come this far, so I'm going to go with Kansas City at this point. And uh, I will bet that um, the Ramones will not get any airtime as anybody's <laughs> boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Ramones are my favorite group. Eric, I mean, it was years ago. Taylor Swift was just a superstar when I first told you how great she was. And now she's a mega super duper star. So don't you feel like you were you had an opportunity to join the Taylor Swift bandwagon before everyone else did? Well, until she was a mega mentor on The Voice, she was nothing to me. She has to make an appearance on The Voice. And then, hey, I, I mean, I love music, but I am so behind the time with technology. I heard the new Billy Joel song, the first single he's had in over 30 years. And I went to his website. I don't even know how to purchase music anymore. <laughs> and, and what did I find on the website? I could buy... A vinyl. A vinyl, yeah. And it's like, well, wait a second. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know. I can listen to it on YouTube for free all I want, but I was trying to be, you know, conscientious because I know Billy Joel probably needs the money. <laughs> yeah, he makes money off the ads on YouTube, just like we make money off the ads on YouTube, too. Um, now it's obviously not the same as buying actual music, but... Um... Yeah, uh, I don't. Most people don't buy physical music much, or even digital music much. I I don't. I I mean, I have a subscription to Spotify, and so I just add whatever. Is comes. that how the artists make money? Is they get a cut of that? It's very small. I mean, most of their money is coming from touring these days, um, or okay. like or music videos on YouTube. Like they can make money off of that, uh, or even if you sign a music video, they can just put a video. And they get free tickets out. to football games. Okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Um, that's it for how does the music industry work? 
Um, I, I should give my Super Bowl <laughs> uh, prediction. I, I'll go with the uh, the. Uh, you know, I'll go with the 49ers just to be opposite of Eric. I I, I think it's hard to go against uh, um, Patrick Mahomes, but I, I won't be disappointed either way. I, I don't dislike either team. Um, I, I really like I hope I hope it's actually a good defensive game. I, I want to see some big plays, but I, I think both those defenses are pretty good. So it'll be interesting to see how, how they match up against those opposing offenses. I see you, Irish fan, and I love your comment. And I loved a lot of the comments I saw. Lots of great comments. I really appreciate all the comments. I try to stare over there when Tyler gets too long-winded. I go looking <laughs> through the comments to keep my attention span sharp. Yeah, then I have to figure out what he was laughing about. Uh, <laughs> um, and hope it wasn't something I said, unless I meant him to be funny. Um, all right, well, that is it for us tonight. Um, if you're not subscribed to InsideAndySports.com, make sure you take advantage of that uh, 30-day free trial. Um, use the code NDYT. Um, you sign up for free access to our premium analysis and recruiting coverage and special access to us over on the Insider Lounge message board where we spend loads and loads of time. There's a link to sign up to that for that in this video description. Um, anything else you want to add before we get out of here, Eric? Thank you to Legacy Heating and Air. Thank you to the music industry and Tracy Chapman. <laughs> I wanted you to give your like your, your Grammy speech. Thank you. To, <laughs> thank you to my manager. <laughs> if they would let me be on the Grammys, I would. I would. I don't know what I could bring to it. <laughs> who was the? I think it was the Oscars. There was someone who looked like you that won an Oscar. Do you remember that years ago? Yeah, I mean, they put it on Twitter. There was somebody that won an Oscar. I don't know who that was, but obviously a talented individual and a handsome guy. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning and in. An we'll old be, guy. We'll be live again next Monday. Um, and uh, uh, look for Inside Indie Sports podcast later this week. All right. Have a good week. <laughs>